Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. It was just total straight radio silence from Beth from the early morning of December 22nd on, except for one person, her fiance, who claims that he talked to her by phone and saw her face to face. Other than that, nobody. That really brought a great amount of concern to us. You start to become incredibly concerned that something horrible has happened. It's December 22nd, just a few days before Christmas in Des Moines, Iowa. Ten-year-old Shonda and her three-year-old brother Jonathan are giddy with excitement about the upcoming holiday. Their mother, 31-year-old Beth Ann Ricketts, loves to celebrate Christmas and always tries to make it special for the family. She would never miss such an important day. But three days later, when Christmas finally arrives, Beth Ann has vanished, and her children are desperate for her to return. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Missing for Christmas. December 22, 1997, is a cold and quiet morning at the Des Moines, Iowa home of Beth Ann Ricketts and her two children, Shonda and Jonathan. Shonda knows her mother isn't home because she saw her leave earlier. So she's surprised when at about 10 a.m., her mother's boyfriend, Bill, comes into the house. I'm making a bowl of Frosted Flakes. I'm sitting there eating it. And all of a sudden, the door opens. So it's Bill. And he's like, hey, I need you and Jonathan to get ready. We're going to Gina's house because, you know, my mom slipped on the ice and I got to take her to the hospital. And I was like, what? And he comes over to me and he's like, get this stuff ready now. And I just remember being like, oh my God, I'm really scared, okay. I go and I wake up my brother and get him dressed. And Bill is frantic. He's up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, outside, back and forth, back and forth. And he's like, hurry up, hurry up. And I'm just like, I'm hurrying. Shonda and Jonathan are terrified as they climb into Bill's car. Their mother has never allowed them to ride with anyone but her, and the two children have never been alone with Bill. I just remember looking at my brother, and my little brother is just deer in the headlights, sitting in the back seat, just like, what is going on? You could tell he was just so scared. He was stiff, and I'm like, okay, he's scared. I'm scared. This isn't normal. Shonda's relieved to find out that Bill is taking them to the home of Paul and Gina Christian. Gina is Beth's closest friend, and the family spend a lot of time together. Bill called on the morning of December 22nd, and he was very frantic and loud. 
isn't Beth supposed to come out there today to cut your hair? And I'm like, yes, we're going to have our Christmas later. And he's like, I have a family emergency. And can you take the kids? And I'm like, sure, bring the kids out to me. And when they got there, LaShonda pretty much ran to me. She just grabbed me and she was scared. And I was asking what is going on. And LaShonda was telling me that she was scared. Something's not right. I start bawling. I just can't stop crying. And I'm just losing my stuff. And she's just like, hey, calm down. It's okay. You're safe now. I calmed them down. I fed them. We just did, you know, silly family stuff that we do. Beth, who's a hairstylist, is supposed to be at Gina's house at 6.30 to cut Gina's hair. But dinner time comes and goes, and Beth never shows up or calls. I tried to call anybody and everybody that I could think of. Hey, have you heard from Beth? No? Okay. As the evening wore on and it got dark, and in Iowa, it is so cold. So then you've got cold, dark, scary, no word, which is completely unlike Beth. I started getting really, really worried, but I tried not to let the kids know how worried I was because I was trying to keep them calm. LaShonda was already worried enough. No one knows Beth better than Gina. They met in 1992 when they were both living in Midwest City, Oklahoma, and the two hit it off immediately. She was contagious. Always bright, bright, bright smile. Very upbeat, very funny, very smart. The hugest heart, and she didn't even know a stranger, trust me. And everybody loved her. She was one of those people that, you know, she walked into a room and she lit up the room. Just with her smile and her personality, she was great. Beth Ann was an amazing mom. Amazing. Her kids were first. She loved them unconditionally. They were her first thought. Beth married young and had Shonda right away. That marriage didn't work out, but then a few years later, she met a long-haul trucker named Ken Ricketts, and it was love at first sight. They got married, and soon Jonathan was born. When he was six months old, the family moved to Des Moines, where a new Firestone tire plant was hiring workers, and both Beth and Ken got jobs there. Beth's best friend Gina followed a few months later. For a short time, their life in Iowa was good. But after a few years, Beth and Ken's marriage fell apart because of Ken's growing addiction to drugs. Ken had a temper, especially when he was doing drugs. And that was a problem for him. He was trying to get clean, I will say that, but it wasn't going well. But she was always the optimist that, okay, I'm going to help him. You know, she's everybody's cheerleader. (laughs) Even after they separated, Beth and Ken still maintained a friendly relationship. Ken regularly saw the kids, and they both continued to work at the Firestone plant. And that's where Beth meets Bill, who's 15 years her senior. It's a classic case of opposites attract. Beth is bubbly and vivacious, and Bill is serious and reserved. As they begin to date, Shonda notices a change in her mother's behavior. 
Bill shows up and the whole like demeanor changes and like the whole atmosphere kind of changed from like this happy, giddy mood to just very serious and stoic. I just found it so strange because my mom loves to go out dancing. You know, she loved going dancing. So then now you're going from that type of like being able to have that freedom and go have fun and laugh and dance and be with your friends to we're never leaving the house. You stay home the entire time. He brings over dinner. You don't even go out to eat and you just sit here and watch movies at the house. I had told her, we've got to figure out what's going on with this guy. Something is not right. I mean, this isn't right. Why is he not taking you out? Why is he not introducing you to friends? I mean, two years, why haven't you met any family? Why haven't you met anybody? She was just kind of like under his spell, you know, and eventually their personalities are going to kind of clash. After two years, Bill asks Beth to marry him and they become engaged. But by December 1997, their relationship has become strained and their issues come to a head on December 21st, the night before Beth goes missing. I just remember my brother and I were kind of being annoying, like siblings do. I got sent to my room and I stomped up the stairs and I told her I hated her. And I stayed in my room for the rest of the night. You know, that's the last conversation that I ever had with her. I didn't mean it. I was just a little punk kid, but I can't believe I said that, you know. The next morning, you know, I wake up and I see my mom in the bathroom getting ready. And I wanted to go tell her I was sorry, you know. I wanted to tell her I loved her. and I wanted to go talk to her and Bill would not let me talk to her. He was like, no, you need to go back to bed. It's way too early for you to be up. It's 5.30 in the morning. You need to go lay down. He comes back in the room with this little alarm clock and he's like, you can't get out of bed until 9.30. But I was just so upset that he wouldn't even let me tell her that I was sorry or like I love her or any of that. About an hour later, Beth and Bill are in the entryway preparing to leave for the day when a defiant Shonda sneaks down the stairs. I am in the hallway listening to their conversation. And they're about to go eat at Perkins, like a breakfast place. And I hear them kiss and then they walk out and they take separate cars. So he pulls out of the driveway first and then she pulled out of the driveway, goes to the stop sign. And that's the last time I ever saw her my whole life. It's later that morning that Bill returns to Beth's home and takes Shonda and Jonathan to Gina's house, where they wait all day and night for Beth to show up. I get everybody tucked in and calmed down, and I call the police and try to report Beth as missing. I try to explain to them she would never leave her children, ever. She would have at least called me and said she was running late. Besides that, she had already planned all these things. That giant, giant Christmas for her, no, no. She would have never done that to her children, ever. But the police won't hear it because they said that, you know, she's a grown adult. We have to wait 48 hours. 
before we can even think of doing something like that. What Gina doesn't know yet is that on December 22nd, about eight hours after Beth was last seen driving away, the Des Moines Fire Department responded to a report of a house fire at Beth's home. It seemed to be contained to the bedroom that was Beth Ann's bedroom. Paul Parizic is a sergeant with the Des Moines, Iowa Police Department. The actual cause and the source of the fire was never really to be determined. It was undetermined origin. When you look at the photographs, it's very difficult to tell. You can see that what was burned, burned intensely, but it's difficult to see from those photographs where it actually started. The next morning, when a local TV station broadcasts a story about the fire at Beth's home, Gina tries once again to get law enforcement involved. Our duplex showed up on the news, and that's when Gina was like, you know what? I'm calling the cops. She calls them and says, hey, their house was just on the news burning down, so can I go ahead and make a police report because the mother has not contacted us? A missing persons case is finally opened, and Beth's husband, Ken, is the first person that police want to talk to. They know he was at Beth's house the day of her disappearance because firefighters discovered an angry note he left hanging on her front door. He was upset because no one was home when he came by to take the kids to a friend's birthday party. Once we made contact with the ex-husband, it became pretty obvious to us that he was not involved. He seemed very genuine in his concern. His behaviors didn't indicate to us at all that he had any knowledge about what had happened. By midday on Christmas Eve, Beth is still missing, and Gina feels that not enough is being done to find her. So she calls local TV reporters and begs them to spread the word about her friend's disappearance and the mysterious fire. That night, all four TV stations in Des Moines, Iowa, had a story on this missing mother. And after the first, you know, the early edition of the news hit, I get a call from a detective. The detective tells Gina that the Des Moines Police Department has received an angry call from Beth's fiancé, Bill. He's very upset that she's been reported missing, and he said that she's not missing. She's very mad. She's called me. She's called me a bunch of names. She cussed me out. She doesn't know why we're doing this to her. And the detective who took that call at that time actually canceled out the case and indicated that she was not missing. Bill told the detective that Beth just wanted to go away and be by herself for a while to work some things out, and he claimed to be in touch with her. They closed the case. They said, oh, she's fine. I kept trying to tell them, no, she is missing. This is not right. And that's why I was so frustrated because I did not feel like anybody was listening to me. And I knew for a fact something was terribly wrong. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. 
So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Petco, and Neiman Marcus. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Gina is convinced that Beth has met with foul play because she knows things about Beth and Bill's relationship that no one else knows. She had this conversation with me, this long conversation about how she was scared of Bill. One of the people at the factory came and told her that he was on probation. She didn't know about this at all. And when she confronted him with it, come to find out he had been on federal probation for trying to rob a bank. Gina is suspicious that Beth's disappearance could be financially motivated because Beth had recently come into a large amount of money as the result of a workplace injury settlement. My mom got hurt at work and went to the doctor and the doctor wrote a note and was like, don't lift over 10 pounds for right now and let it heal and we'll check back on you and then we'll let you know. She gives the note to her supervisor and the supervisor is like, I don't know what to tell you, we're shorthanded, you have to go here. So she goes in there, they're doing their jobs and all of a sudden a chain broke The tire fell off of the assembly line and rolled on top of her body. The financial settlement that Beth received gave her enough money to upgrade her family's lifestyle. She was excited to just change our lives. And she was ready to be like, okay, we're going to have a really good life and we're actually going to be able to do stuff and we're going to be able to go on vacations. And she was like, we're going to find a place to live. We're going to find a house. So she was just so excited about being able to do that. I had never really seen my mom like that. So I just remember looking at her and being like, wow, she's just really, really happy person. She had talked about trying to take that money and do a salon again. She was so excited about moving forward in life and giving her kids this giant Christmas that she hadn't been able to do in years. She was Christmas shopping left and right, buying all this stuff. And I just remember she went downstairs one day and she said, you guys are going to love Christmas. You're going to be so happy. You're just going to, it's going to be amazing. You're just going to love Christmas. Bill, however, had different plans for how Beth should spend her settlement money. He tried to get her to get like a joint bank account. And he kept pushing and pushing. Well, if we're going to be a team, you know, I need to be on her new car. And she didn't feel comfortable with that. And that's when he decided he was going to marry her and he loved her. Against her better judgment, Beth agrees to put Bill's name on her new car. 
But then Beth discovers that besides her fiancé's arrest for bank robbery, Bill has another shocking skeleton hidden in his closet. She finds out he was married. He had an entire relationship with someone else. He was living a double life. She was seriously, like, heartbroken over that. She was just like, you know, I'm done with this. I don't want to be with this person anymore. When she disappeared, she was in the middle of trying to get rid of him. And she told me, if anything happens to me, you need to look at him real close. You need to know I don't trust him. I'm scared of him. Gina tells police about Beth's rocky relationship with Bill, arguing that Beth is not fine, despite what Bill is saying. She tells them about the settlement money that Beth kept in a cash box in her bedroom, the only room that caught fire the day she disappeared. And why has no one seen Beth for days? Why hasn't she contacted anyone, especially her children? Police finally agree that the circumstances are suspicious and reopen Beth's case as a possible homicide. And they focus on Bill as a person of interest. Once we ruled out the ex-husband, you start looking at the fiancé. When you start looking at some of his behaviors that really raised the red flag, the calling in and saying that she contacted him and she was mad about being a missing person, she didn't get a hold of us. And it just got even worse as it went on. Over a period of six or seven days, and this is after that she has gone missing, he reports to us that he saw her. He said that he had physical contact with her. Either he couldn't remember if it was December 30th or December 31st and that she was kind of gathering her thoughts, trying to figure out what she was going to do. And he said that he was not surprised to see that Beth was gone for days, but he was only surprised that she didn't take the kids with her. But he offered us no guidance, suggestion, or help in where we could go and confirm that she was okay. And he could offer up no explanation as to why she wouldn't contact anyone and why he was the only person who had seen her. Also, another red flag, in early January, he had taken both his car and the car that Beth Ann was last seen driving and taken them to a car dealership, traded both of them in and got a new car. There's a couple questions that come to your mind right away. Why did you trade in both your cars? And if Beth is okay and she's moving around, how is she getting around? Within a few days, police find Beth's car at the dealership that bought it from Bill. We impounded it. We examined it for evidence. But at that time, the car had been detailed and prepped for sale. So it had been shampooed and vacuumed and polished. There was nothing of any significant evidentiary value. Police have many questions for Bill, and they invite him down to the station for a formal interview. There was one point where he said that he was going to come in and he didn't show up. There was some follow-up done with his probation officer who also indicated to us that the fiancé had no intention of showing up. And then that's when we lose contact with him. As time went on and new cases come in and he slips you know, from the limelight here in Des Moines, he was able to avoid ever going face-to-face -face with us. That looks like the behavior of someone who's trying to hide something, as does a fire in a home. Despite all the suspicious circumstances, there's not enough evidence to file charges against Bill, and there are only theories about why he might have wanted to harm Beth. Motive is one thing that is often very difficult to identify. There's a couple different theories here. One was that it was about the money. 
Another theory is that Beth had become savvy to the fact that there were other women in his life. That is a potential motive also to silence her. With Beth still missing, reluctantly, Gina and Paul turned Shonda and Jonathan over to Ken Ricketts on Christmas Day. Then, because he was unable to care for the kids, they were sent to live with other members of Ken's family, which added more misery to an already tragic situation. The people that we ended up having to be with down here in Oklahoma, you know, would make cruel remarks like, your mom's not missing. She drove to a lake and stabbed herself to get away from you. Like, you know, just awful, awful things. And so for the longest time, I was just like, this is all my fault. I drove my mom away. and It was, um, yeah. I thought she was still alive for a long time. I really thought she was just taking a break and she would just drive down the driveway one day and come get us and I wouldn't even be mad at her. I'd forgive her and move on and I would just be happy that she's back. And I think I held up that hope for about five years after her disappearance. I think after the fifth year, I was just done. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Almost 25 years later, Beth's disappearance remains an open investigation, and detectives are still hopeful they can bring this case to a close. At this point, we don't believe that she's alive. What we want to do is put the effort into seeing what we can do to find Beth's body. I was just speaking to our cadaver dog folks that helped us out on another case, and I learned that their dogs can smell bones that are 300 years old. So we've got a lot of resources that are available to us once we figure out where we want to start looking. We also want to go and we want to find people who were there then, people who knew Beth then who think they maybe have some information or they might know something or maybe they saw something or maybe they've thought about this for years and didn't think it was something, we want them to reach out to us. For Shonda and Jonathan, losing their mother during what was always the happiest time of the year for the family has had a lifelong impact on their Christmas holidays. 
I hated Christmas. I hated it so much. But I had to get over that because I have a baby. So I just kind of take a page out of my mom's book and I've made Christmas as special as I possibly can. And, you know, my little kid actually loves Christmas. <laughs> he freaking loves Christmas. He's restored Christmas. Yeah, my little boy has restored Christmas. Every December 22nd, I will buy a big white candle every year. And I light it every year. Because I'm never going to give up looking for her. Even if it's just to put her to rest. I just want to find her. So we can get some kind of closure. Because come December, it will be 25 years ago that she disappeared. And somebody knows something. Last week at church, they were talking about forgiveness. And I cried the whole sermon. No one will ever understand what it's like to pray over the person that killed your parent. You pray over their protection so that one day you can sit in a courtroom and see justice served. So you have to pray for them to be safe so that you can someday sit there and hear justice for your parent that was taken from you because that's what needs to happen. And it's not fair. Life's not fair, I get that. But it's time to get justice for what they've done so that we can have peace, so that we can move on. Beth Ann Ricketts disappeared in Des Moines, Iowa on December 22, 1997. If you have any information about this case, please contact the Crime Stoppers of Central Iowa at 515-223-1400. Leave a tip on their website, www.crimestoppersofcentraliowa.com, or submit a tip at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries... Imagination is one thing, but you can't imagine things moving in the air across the room. You can't imagine things being broken right in front of you. It's one thing to say imagination if it's just one person, but when you have 40, 50, 60 people who all have had experiences, it's hard to say imagination at that point. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Mural Productions and Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. It is executive produced by Terry Dunn-Muir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Christine Lennig, Courtney Ennis, and Bill Schultz. The story producer for this episode was Ann Toller, and it was edited by Robert Wise. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil and Andy Jaskowitz. Production support by Sean Cherry, Ian Mont, and Ava Fenneberger. Artwork and design is by Kurt Courtney. Publicity by Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to Episode 65 of Unsolved Mysteries.